promise to be brief, but we cannot let this week go by without opening God's Word and seeing what He has in mind for us. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 7, we're, we're continuing through Isaiah during this Christmas season because Isaiah points to some intricate details about who Jesus is, who God is, and this Messiah that Isaiah keeps prophesying about. And the question that I want you, you children to think about is, what does Emmanuel mean? We saw a little bit this morning um, about what Emmanuel means. We saw it in, um, in the candle lighting, but we also saw it in Stephen Laura's presentation. God with us. God is not separated from us by a distance. He comes to us. What we saw in Stephen Laura's presentation is this continual emphasis on heart language, on coming to the people. In fact, they even are wearing the same clothes as the people that they are ministering to. How many of you children in here, Edward and Silas, pay attention. How many of you have had someone talk to you and you not understand them? You can raise your hands, young, young, young ones and not so young ones. When they talk to you that way, you wonder, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And Isaiah very clearly shows us that God with us means not only that we can understand him, but that he understands us. So the question I, I like to, to ask folks is, is God with us? Is God with you in a real way, not, not in some superficial way? You know, when we go through trials or, tr or struggles, there are two major questions we ask. Is God good? And is he great? Because if God is good, why am I going through COVID? If a God is great, why is he allowing my loved ones to die? We ask these questions. These are heavy questions that we ask, right, children? Is God good? And is God great? You know, this is an age-old question. It's a question that started in the garden. Satan, in his, all his wily ways, asked that same question. Did God really say... And doesn't he just twist it? He twists God's word every single time. And he twists it in such a way that makes God look bad or harsh or evil. Yet over and over again through the, 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 the picture of Scripture, we see this one message that God is good and God is great. And he does that through Emmanuel, through Jesus Christ. That story about Matthew and, and the birth of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, they, they, they recognize the prophecy as being completed in Matthew. So, turn in your Bible and see how Jesus answers that question. Is God good? Is God great? Or ultimately, we could put an umbrella over it and say, is God with us? I think that's the, the question we need to ask this season. Is God with us? So turn to Isaiah chapter 7, if you're not already, already there. And starting in verse 10, we are going to read our passage. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Ask for a sign deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, Listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject 
what is bad and choose what is good, he will be to eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. The Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's house such a time as ne has never been seen since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. On that day, the Lord will whistle to flies at the farthest streams of the Nile and to bees in the land of Assyria. All of them will come and settle in the steep ravines, in the clefts of the rock and in the, all the thorn bushes and in all the water holes. On that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave the hair on your heads, the hair on your legs, and even your beards. On that day, the, a man will raise a young cow and two sheep, and from the abundant milk they give, he will eat curds, for every survivor in the land will eat curds and honey. And on that day, every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand pieces of silver will become thorns and briars. A man will go with a bow and arrows because the whole land will be thorns and briars. You will not go, you will not go to all the hills that were once tilled with a hoe. For fear of thorns and briars, those hills will be places for oxen to graze and for sheep to trample. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we study this passage, Lord, I pray that you give us a supernatural understanding. Help us to, to see Emmanuel, God, with us. Father, show us Christ in this passage. Lord, this is our desperate need. God, I pray that you uh, give me your spirit. Give me the unction to speak the words that you would have me speak, Father, and shut my mouth up if I speak what you do not want me to say. Lord, give me wisdom and be with our congregation. Help us to have ears to hear. Lord, we want to lift up Kentucky. Uh, Mayfield and the area that were just devastated by that tornado. Father, we pray for the mourning families and the, the loss, the devastation that comes from this. Lord, I pray that you would show them in an intimate way that you are with them, even in their trials, even in their struggles, even in their pain. God, we lift up the first responders and all the crews that are working to rescue and to um, clean the debris and lives are trying to be restored and resettled. God, I pray for your comfort to those people. Lord, may your presence be upon your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I know many of you recall last week that Ahaz was told to stand firm in the faith, and now God is giving him an opportunity to do so. And what we see is that Ahaz rejects this opportunity. Verse 10, he says this. He says, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, now, it's interesting, just note that Isaiah is using this language the Lord spoke. So God is speaking through Isaiah. Isaiah is God's spokesperson. And he says, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol, which is the underworld, or as high as heaven. So he has a second opportunity to stand firm in the faith. And what does Ahaz do? Ahaz rejects what God said. He rejects it outright. Look at this. Verse 12, I will not ask. Now he does something funny here. He shows how pious he is, how perfectly holy, how wise. He says, I will not test the Lord, which is what, something you're not allowed to do in the Old Testament, correct? You don't test God. And so he's so wise and so pious, but then he gets in trouble. Why does Ahaz get in trouble? Because he's not looking for evidence. He already has his mind made up. He has already made a treaty with the people of Assyria. He's already trusted in someone other than God. 
He already put his hope in someone else. He trusted the all of Judah to an enemy of his own people. It would be like us making a peace treaty with the Taliban and telling them that they're in charge of policing our cities. It's just wild. He decides to not trust God, and so God gives him an opportunity, and he rejects it. You know, it's interesting that evidence cannot create faith. It can only confirm it. Evidence cannot create faith. It just confirms it. When there's, when there's no faith, evidence is really unwelcome. In fact, it's something that you want to explain away. Many of you have had this discussion with your family members. You've shown them the gospel. You've shown them Jesus Christ. You've, you've explained it to them. You've told them about the hope that you have within you. And what do they say? Uh, I don't, I'm not interested. Or let's not talk about this. This is breaking our family apart. They don't welcome the information, the evidence, the facts, right? Just as much as we love the facts, just the facts, ma'am. As much as we like that, we tend to reject it. So if we accept the lie that God does not care for us and is not intimately involved with us, we abandon God's perspective. And what is really foolish seems to be wise in our own eyes. How often do we reject God's plan, God's wisdom, and decide to do it on our own. And then we think that that's wisdom. And that's what Ahaz does. He thinks he's being smart. I mean, if you abandon God, if God is not part of your life, Ahaz says, well, let me trust in the Assyrians. That's our only hope right now. If you don't trust in God, you have no hope, and you try to choose some other hope. And so we have this misplaced trust. You know, even the garden seems to be the perfect illustration of this rejecting of God's goodness and his greatness. Because the question is, is God with us? Young men and young women, Edward and Silas, Riley and Rainey, all the kids in the room, is God with us? And what what did our children say? Yes. But when you become older and you experience trials, when I ask you, is God with us? What do you say? Maybe. I don't know. Even a child understands that God is with us. Yet we get older and we start to rationalize away. Assyria is going to help him against Israel and Syria and will lead to Judah's downfall. God's word will be kept. Syria and Israel, who are attacking Judah, they will not succeed in their attack of Jerusalem. But Assyria will not be the friend. They will not be with them in the same way that God is. And so God says he's going to give a sign. Verse 14, he says this. He says, therefore, well, let's go to 13 real quick. God's a little angry now. Isaiah in particular says, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Did you hear the shift in language? It went from ask your God anything to my God. Ahaz has rejected God, and Isaiah is pointing that out in a visceral sense, in a very, very angry way. In fact, he calls him House of David, the one king who God established, who promised an eternity of reign, is now rejecting the God that he has been appointed to to serve. And so therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, Or behold, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. God's promise will stand and it will be reflected by his promised sign. This, of course, is quoted in the New Testament 
over and over again as a fulfillment of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is this Emmanuel, this God with us, as reflected in this passage. It's a, it's a miraculous event. It's the virgin will conceive and have a child and name him Emmanuel. It's not ordinary. It is a virgin. Now, really quick, I want to, to, uh, to talk about a brief argument that the scholars have. They say that Isaiah used an unclear word. It could have just been a young, unmarried woman. That would make sense if it weren't for the rest of the context of the passage. And it would make sense if it weren't for something called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, which is, uses a very clear word for virgin. This is a virgin that will give birth. It's a miracle. It is unusual. If you want to talk more about it, I have, I have lots of books and papers and information about this that we can talk all day long. You know I get excited about nerd stuff. So, Isaiah is saying that this child will be born of a virgin, and his name will be Emmanuel, which is interesting. Who is doing the naming in verse 14? Who's going to name this child the mother? Which means that the father's not in the picture, which means dad is not part of the conception process in a traditional Hebrew family. Okay, we got it. Everyone understands. God with us. The mother is doing the naming. So who is the figure that is being mentioned? It's actually a mystery. We do not know yet, as we read through Isaiah, who this Emmanuel is going to be. But I'm going to tell you, by Christmas Eve, we're going to have a pretty clear picture of who this Emmanuel is going to be, because in, verse, in chapter 9, we find out this is going to be the Prince of Peace. And so we're going to see this more. God promises to be with us through Jesus Christ, this long-expected Savior. This is the ultimate example of what love looks like. Love looks like being with someone in all the same ways. God takes on humanity, all the infirmities, all the illnesses, all that is uncomfortable, and he places it upon himself. He doesn't stay in his palace. How easy would it be for missionaries to stay in their home country and get 15 or 20 brands of toothpaste? instead of going to a country where you get maybe one or two options, or living in a land of air conditioning and heat, instead of having to fan yourself with a cord of a, a mesh fan. We think about this when we see what it means to embody this love. How are you living that out to other people? How are you being God with others in this ultimate form of love? Are you bearing with one another in your grief? In the hardships? Are you putting yourself in uncomfortable positions in order to show who Christ is to those around you? Jesus does not stay in a comfortable palace or a safe place. He is born while traveling. We all know how difficult it is to travel and how difficult it is to travel with babies. Uncomfortable. Jesus comes out of his palace to be with us. And that is the Christmas story in a nutshell, friends. It is God with us. God became man and dwelt among us, and we are not left alone. He is right now seated at the right hand of God, the Father interceding for us. God, fully God and fully man, is with us. Now, some people might think, well, if God is with us, then why do bad things happen? Right? Why, is, why am I getting sick? I just have, I have faith in Jesus. Why do I get sick? Why is hard things happening? Why do tornadoes come? Why does COVID strike families? Why do people pass away? Verses 16 through 25 point to this fact that God is with us, Emmanuel, 
God with us is with us in the good and the bad. We see in this passage, and I don't have time to unpack every aspect of it, but God is in every circumstance with us. He gives us the ability to bear up under hardship. He gives us the, the joy when things are going well. This is what it looks like to live with God, with us. His people can be sorrowful and joyful, depending on several factors. God is going to use Assyria against Syria and Ephraim, but He's also going to use it against Judah as well. As you look at this passage, it says, On that day the Lord will whistle the flies from the furthest stream of the Nile and bees in the land of Assyria. He's calling for armies from both sides of Israel. Israel the great highway of the nations. Israel is right down the middle path of both these warring armies of great nations. It is stuck. It is kind of like Ukraine, always getting invaded by Russia, right? We always have this continual going through. And so what's going to happen in a short time, when it talks about this boy is going to know good from bad, it means that within three to 13 years, this is going to happen. In fact, we see that, that Assyria comes and destroys these two nations. And then after Ahaz, the Davidic line is essentially non-existent. None of the following kings really have much of an impact in the history of Judah. And so because of this rejection, God is going to have successive conquests and exile. First, we have Assyria conquering the land. Then we have Babylon. Then we have Persia. Then we have Greece. And finally, Rome lays waste to the land where this Emmanuel would be born born to a people in distress. Yet in all this, God has a plan to rescue His people. If you look at this passage in 18 and 20 and 21 and 23, there's a repetition. Remember, repetition is important in the Hebrew language. And so it says, on that day, on that day, on that day, it's going to become a desolate place. In fact, you're going to have to stay strapped, as we say with those of us who carry guns, right? Stay strapped or get clapped, as George Washington once said. All right, it's a joke. But it says that they were going to have to carry bows and arrows. Look at this in verse 24. A man will go there with bows and arrows because the whole land will be thorns and briars. There's a continual threat. You are going to live essentially as, as exiles in the promised land. Curds and honey is what something that you would carry around with you if you're taking a long journey because you don't have time to harvest a field or, or, or churn butter. You have to carry it with you. And so the people will be essentially living nomadically. So from this passage, we see clearly that just because God is with us doesn't mean we don't experience hardships. How many of you children have experienced something hard in your life? Maybe been bullied, maybe been teased, maybe scraped your knees. Who is the first person you typically run to when something bad? Yeah, what we see it. Every. What's, the, what's the first thing you do when something happens to you? Who do you run to? Mom, right? Or dad sometimes. But mom... We run to our parents because they're the ones that comfort us. And so even though we are surrounded by so much love, hardship happens and we run to those we trust. Some hardship is our own fault, like Ahaz making a treaty with Assyria that later comes back to bite Judah. Some choose, uh, we choose some temporary sin or some temporary pleasure over God and it devastates us. It wrecks us. We decide to, to get addicted to drugs. We decide to turn to the bottle instead of turning to the hope that we have in Christ. We, we turn away or we, we sleep with that person that we want to love us so much and they, they take our heart and they wreck it. So often we make choices that lead to 
devastation. But other times, we experience tragedy and loss. Sometimes we're triple vaxxed with masks on and we still catch COVID and pass away. Sometimes our family members do everything right. They stay healthy. They do everything and yet they get cancer. What do we do when we have this pain, when the tragedy and loss happen? In times like this, we need to remember that God is with us. He has a plan for our good and a purpose in the hardships. But he also bears that pain with us. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 really sums this up. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. That word sympathize in the Greek really means to co-suffer. He suffers with us. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, here's the point, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The question that I laid before us was what, young, young people? What was the question I asked at the beginning? Is God with us? Who is Emmanuel? God with us. And, and, and is Jesus Emmanuel? Is God with us? As Christmas Day approaches and trials beat down on us and hardship wear us out, ask this question, is God with you? Is God with you? If He is, then you have hope. If He is not, where is your hope? Let's close in prayer. Almighty God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The One who came and took on mankind's flesh, to be like us, to suffer in every way, and yet to go without sin. Father, we pray that we would get to know this Emmanuel more and more this week as we approach this Christmas time of, of celebration, of joy, of happiness, of love and peace, and all that comes with it. Lord, help us to not be distracted from the truth that God is with us. But Lord, I pray also that we don't just take this and be comforted by it, but we share this comfort with others. Help us to be those who will sit with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, and celebrate and be happy with those who are happy. God, help us to be a people of grace that have the, the aroma of the Christ on us as we go. Lord, I pray and I thank you for the time that we've had today to worship you, to, to hear the report from Senegal. Father, I pray that you would raise up men and women in this congregation that would commit to praying for the new Kirks. Lord, I pray that we would pray for the Senegalese people, and in particular the Wolof people, and that we would pray that they would come to know Christ in a saving way, and that they would have the same hope that we have, that God is with us. Lord, help us to be those who know who God is. Jesus, we ask these things in, in your beautiful name. And all God's people said, Amen.